13. Am Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. That was a major concession from a Pharisee. We know that God has sent you as a teacher. No one can do all of these signs, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. That was big. Jesus knew that wasn't the real question, and he answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he got right to the heart of it, all this business about heaven and the kingdom of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was baffled. He took it in a literal, fleshly, natural sense. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? And be born, Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Everybody hear that. This is very significant. I want to really emphasize it this morning. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spirit. Two different things. Don't marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. I say to everyone here, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Then this is a significant verse. I mean, they're all significant, but some just really so. The wind blows where it wishes. The word wind in English is pneuma in Greek, which means spirit or wind. It's kind of ambiguous, but both work out. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But most of us, unless we're scientists, do not know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. It's unpredictable. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. Nicodemus answered and said to him, I don't get it. How can these things be? He wasn't denying what Jesus was saying. On the other hand, he wasn't believing it. This is... I can't get my head around this. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, the Lord didn't hold back. Nicodemus needed to be shook up a little, so Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? In other words, he was, in Jewish terms, an eminent theologian. If anybody should know what I'm talking about, it's you, buddy. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, that's ambiguous, but it really doesn't matter here. We speak that which we know. And we bear witness of what we've seen. You're not receiving our witness. That's very significant. If I told you early, earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things, which is what you really want to know? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. That's me. If you believe anybody, you ought to believe me. Well, last Tuesday, Ossie and I were leaving our lunch place in L.O. Parked beside my car was a dirty old white truck. Had a sticker on the tailgate one of which mockingly declared, trees are the answer. You may have seen that. Not Jesus, but dumb trees. Blatant, in-your-face, 
Oregonian natural religion stuff, a form of idolatry that we see regularly in this state, boasting trees is the answer to all of our problems. I mean, lunacy. Uh, you've probably seen it before. I'd seen it before, but the stupidity of that bumper sticker, like a lot of them, just jarred me afresh. Peripheral conditions that make a temporal difference in the quality of our lives here and now, they can be altered in positive ways. But the fundamental problems that bedevil life on this planet require answers much more radical and supernatural than saving trees and solving climate change and creating social and economic justice. Look, what have we got raging around us? Well, disease and death have been with us since Adam's disobedience and human sin, which is the taproot of it all. Alienation from God, our creator. Broken social relationships. Man's cruelty to man. Like what's going on in Ukraine and Afghanistan. I, uh, when Ossie and I were headed out for our vacation because of her healing ankle, which was broken a while back, as you remember. We got her a wheelchair because you trying to get up and down those those aisles. And a young man who took me at one point was a young Afghani who had been picked by lot to come over here. He was 20 years old. I said, how are things going over there? I said, all they do is kill one another. How would you like to live? Well, it's going on in Ukraine. It's going on everywhere. Some places more intensely than others. Just human hopelessness. And then people are just racked by the burden of guilt. Perhaps some of you right here. Things known or unknown. And then there's enslaving addiction and gross perversions all around it. None of this is within the reach of human band-aids until one is right with God. In this troubled world and this nation, about half of which has lost its mind, the futile quest is on, as you know, for a cure to the social, moral, and economic insanity, all of which, if of any help at all, are just transitory, cheap cures that won't help anything at all for long. Because nothing fundamentally wrong with life on this planet will be fixed. All of you hear this, especially you young people. Because you're being indoctrinated in the public schools, colleges, and everywhere. There's nothing out there that is fundamentally wrong with life on this planet that will be fixed until individuals who are the source of it, and that's all of us, are born again through faith in Jesus. His spirit is the source of the new birth. Until we're born again, we're on a sinking ship like the Titanic, but with no life raft and no hope. For this life to have a good outcome, you must be born again, verse 3. Well, let's just review the passage that we went over last week. 
As we shared in reading, this elite Jewish teacher named Nicodemus, he was troubled, but he didn't want his peers among the Pharisees to know it. He had watched Jesus in action, and he had seen in Jerusalem normally Jesus' ministry. The base of it was up in Galilee, well north. But in Jerusalem, this staggered him. And he came to the Lord by night. He didn't want his peers to see him fraternizing with Jesus. That would be politically incorrect. And he says, Look, I know what's going on. These people are wrong. Nobody can do all of these supernatural signs that you're doing unless God has sent them, unless they're anointed by God and has come to be a teacher of Israel. And I'd like to talk to you. Jesus immediately blows up what Nicodemus is thinking. I mean, he knew his mind just like he knows your mind and my mind. And he didn't bother just to logically connect with Nicodemus. I mean, it was logical, but he just jumps ahead as if to say, Nicodemus, I know what's on your mind. And you want to know about heaven and all of these other supernatural things you want to. And uh, he knew that Nicodemus, like the average Jew in that day, believed, like the average person believes today, that the way you enter the kingdom of God, go into the presence of God, go into his joy, is... Um, be a good boy or a good girl. Be a good boy scout. And that was totally wrong and it still is. Sometimes you can't be clear enough and then people still don't get it. Now, as I said last Sunday, to a certain extent, we're preaching to the choir here, not necessarily on the Internet. But people are here every Sunday who do not know the Lord Jesus, who have not been born again. And some of you may be church members. You're members of the church and you're in good standing but you have not experienced a new birth. There is no way, Jesus made it abundantly clear in this passage, there is no way you're going to enter into the presence of God that you're going to be saved unless you are born again, and that is a spiritual work, a supernatural work. So he tells Nicodemus that in verse 3. There are no end runs, there are no bypasses, there is no menu of Jewish Good works, Nicodemus, that'll cut it. Put that in your ears and seal it up. Don't let it come out. What's required is nothing less than being regenerated. And that's not a figure of speech. That's something literal that the Spirit of God causes to happen. I want to say to you young people, not in the notes, we love you and so glad that you're here. We care for you here at Lake, but... Some of you come from Christian homes, which is a good thing. It's a blessing. But you know you can get, adults and kids can just get used to the churchy routine. And you can just come to church and do church, whatever that is. Adults can too, but especially young people. And we just kind of sit there, you know. Um, when will he be finished? I'd like to get out of here. It's not just a young person's problem. Let me call out about six people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. Um, and the stuff just goes washing right on by. You can sit in church until you know what freezes over. But if you keep going that way, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will go to heaven. You'll be, just be another church person with whom hell is richly populated. You must be born again. The Spirit of God must do a work in your heart. Transform you on the inside. It's called regeneration. We said some of this last week. We're reviewing and repeating it this week. Nicodemus still wasn't getting it. Jesus told him, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, trying to amplify and clarify a little bit for Nicodemus, what did he mean? Well, let's go back. He was alluding to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses uh, 25 through 27. So let's review that. The Spirit of God told, Nicod told Ezekiel, a day is coming. It's not now. A great day is coming. The problem with Israel has always been they did not, and he said this explicitly elsewhere, they never had a heart. They've been churchy. They've been Israelites. Something is wrong with the heart of Israel. Always has been, except for a few of the remnant. The day is coming when I'm going to, this is a metaphor, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be cleansed. You'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Needs to happen. I will put my spirit, water and the spirit, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will, as a result of that action, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Well, that's called the new covenant. And that was what was going to happen. And the Lord is reminding Nicodemus in his own words, Nicodemus, two things have to happen. Have to happen to you, have to happen to you if you're eight years old like I was when I came to Christ, or if you're 18 years old or you're 10 years old, or if you're 118 years old. Still the same. To the washing of water, a metaphor for cleansing, you got to be cleansed, cleansed, cleansed on the inside. You can't be dirt and filth, which we all are naturally. How do we get cleansed? Well, what he's trying to tell Nicodemus, that cleansing water is repentance. When people came to John the Baptist to be baptized, except for Jesus, that's a little different story. They came confessing their sins, saying we're, we're alienated from our God. And so they came saying, we've been wrong. We're li living our lives on the wrong side of the track. We need cleansed. And so by repentance, they were cleansed. And then the Spirit of God enters the mix and enters the hearts. And the Spirit of God gave them a new heart and he put a new spirit within them. I will remove a heart of stone. See, many of us, I don't know about here, many of us have hearts of stone from your flesh, our old carnal flesh, corrupt flesh. We've got, we've got hearts, you can throw a ping pong ball at them and hit ping, 
our hearts are hard toward God. Israel's always was. If they made a stab at repentance, they fell right back into the same old sins again and again and again. They just had a heart of stone. And then he says, I'm going to give you at that day a heart of flesh. Nicodemus, that's what needs to happen. You need a heart of flesh. And the Spirit of God was already working on that in Nicodemus. So what do you need? What's everybody in this room need? You can be a member of Lake Bible Church. Until now, you have great-great-grandchildren. But you're going to be lost unless you're born again. And that won't happen unless there is cleansing. Cleansing won't happen unless there is repentance. Repentance, don't let anybody kid you. Ah, you're coming along and you're adding a work to faith. No, you're not. Repentance is the first movement of faith in the heart of an individual. You repent because you believe God. You believe his word. You say, yes, he's right. I am a sinner. I do need cleansed. That's why we emphasize it. Repentance doesn't mean getting down and crawling down the aisle, you know, in ashes. I mean, it could take that form. But the word repentance means to change your mind. It just means to stop wherever you're going and saying. It's literally what it means. A change of mind, metanoia. It means that I say, whoa, that's a work of the Spirit of God. I hear him. Whoa, I've been going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, and worshiping the wrong things. I've got idols in my life. They're all bad. They're all against God. One of the idols is me. You've seen that magazine out there that says me. It's a symbol of everything that's wrong with it. We're, we're all about me. i got to love myself. Nobody has to teach me that. I got used to it a long time ago. We all do love ourselves. I mean, there's a right way. What I need to do is love God and love you. And that comes with a new heart. So God says, this is called regeneration. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. God will take charge to walk in my statutes, give you a heart that wants to obey God, wants to walk with God, wants to do the right thing as far as God is concerned. And you will be careful. Spirit of God will cause that, give you a heart that will be careful to observe my ordinances. Nicodemus, that's got to happen. It's got to happen by water and the Holy Spirit. Now, there he contrasts two two births, and I kind of hit this very, very lightly last Sunday. The Lord differentiates between two wholly different kinds of birth. There's a natural birth. We're all here as a result of that. And there's another birth that he's talking about that has different moral and spiritual capacities. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We've all been born of the flesh. We are all from Adam. And the flesh is the physical, the normal, but it's also corrupt and it's polarized from God. The flesh is weak and it's pro-self and anti-God. Whatever is born of the flesh, listen to me, we all are, we've all experienced that birth, the first birth. He's telling Nicodemus and us is strictly flesh in all of its fallenness. Look, let me get right at it. A dog is a dog. It can rise no higher. 
water seeks its own level. So flesh is flesh, and its moral capacities are limited to its moral and spiritual nature. It can't go any higher. It cannot know God. It cannot please God. Romans 8, cannot do it. You see, if you haven't been born again, there is no way you can please God. No way. You can't reform yourself. All you can do is have in you, because of the influences, the gracious influences of God through his word, you can be lost as a bunny rabbit. You have down in you an otter, O-U-G-H-T-E-R, something that says, I ought to do this. And then maybe you've gotten so hard that you don't even have that. But if you're born after the flesh, you've just got a big, at best, a big strong order. Oh, I ought to do this. I ought not have done that. But you know you don't have a wanter, W-A-N-T-E-R. You don't have a wanter that really wants to please God. You're not born of the Spirit. So you go around all the time. You might be a church person. You go around all the time, and you've got a conscience, maybe in your youth groups and others, maybe in your home, that's been developed around you ought to be this kind of person. You ought to be that kind of person. And you feel a slavery. And at some point, you go off to college and you react against it, and you say, to blank with that, and I'm going to do what I want. And a conscience may hurt, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't give you a wanter wanting to please God. You know, I do a lot of things. I I wish I hadn't said, I wish I hadn't thought, I wish I hadn't done. But none of them is because I don't have a wanter. I'm weak in the flesh, and that's the case with you. Well, for that to happen, there has to be a new birth, a birth from above. The word born again can mean from above, and it can mean born again. Nicodemus is taking it in the sense of born again, but both senses apply. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit in nature. Those of you who know the Lord in this room, everyone who knows the Lord, you were born after the flesh, but now you've been born after the Spirit. What is born after the Spirit is created after God. It's connected to His own Spirit, and it's animated by His Spirit. Until one experiences the new birth, he cannot see, in the sense of discern, the presence and power of the kingdom of God, and he cannot expect to enter into it. Well, Nicodemus undoubtedly had been teaching people, as I've said, that by conforming to the ritualistic requirements of God's Old Testament ceremonial law and by strictly obeying outwardly God's precepts, they would merit a place in the kingdom of God. It was wrong. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, let me give it to you straight. What you need, my friend, is a total paradigm shift, a total model shift in your mind. Nicodemus, of all people, he says in verse 7, should not have been amazed at what he's telling him. You're a teacher of Israel. 
you're deaf, dumb, dumb and blind, Nicodemus. I mean, he's smacking him right between you. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to do that. Nicodemus, of all people, should not have been amazed at such language. It was back there in Ezekiel. A theologian, a doctor of the law should have known that. He didn't. So having affirmed in verse 8 the necessity of being born again, plus the Old Testament basis and the possibility of the experience of a new birth, Jesus now transitions to the sovereign wonder and mystery of it all. I love this. He says, Nicodemus, listen to me. The wind, pneuma, the spirit, take it either way. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sometimes in my house like yours at night. I kind of live up on a hill, so I get it going on out there. And Lambs stay off my house. And we hear the wind blowing. Is it coming from the east? Is it coming from the south? Really don't like it from the south. You know, it's sovereign, the wind. You don't get out there and say, hey, wind, blow this way. No, blow that way. Doggone it, it's sovereign. It just blows where it wants to blow. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it's coming from. It's unpredictable. And you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Oh, it's so mysterious. It's so wonderful. You know, I see it all the time. Again, Aussie was telling me a story this morning unrelated to this message. I've mentioned him so much. I hope you don't get sick of it. But I mentioned her dad last Sunday many times. He was such a remarkable story. Aussie at the eighth grade, we had a church. And... uh, she became a Christian in vacation Bible school, as did her parents were not Christians at that time. Her mother later became a Christian, a believer, born again. Wonderful woman. And there was Roy, He'd never been in church, I think, a day in his life. Roy was the church backed up on a river. And where was Roy on Sunday morning? Well, Aussie's mother was embarrassed to death. She was born again. And he was out there with his racing boat, running up and down the Canal River. You couldn't hear yourself think. So Aussie would play louder and Barbara would play the organ louder to try to drown out (laughs) the sound of that boat racing, hardly hitting the water, just skimming up and down the Canal River. He didn't care, but she was embarrassed to death because she knew that was her husband drowning out what was going on there. That which is flesh is flesh. He couldn't get any higher than that. But the day came when the Spirit met him and the Spirit changed his heart. It's hard to believe as you go back that 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 was going on in the river and the man we saw when I was dating Aussie, I think he came to Christ, was a 17 about there, changed, born again, born again. You got to be born again. 
And boy, he never veered from that path. Oh, he had some darker moments. But he never veered from that path. You must be born again. That's what we always, all of us pastors, worry about. People sitting in our churches who just become churchified. But they're not born again. The Spirit of God has not done that work because there has been no real repentance. An honest confession. Oh, gosh, I've been wrong. So wrong, Lord God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to walk. The Spirit of God enters there and changes the heart from the inside. They're not perfect. They're never going to be close to it. But they are changed. You're around them, you know they're changed. You're around them, you know they're one of us. And that's many of you. And they're not one of them, those who are just flesh. Well, here's the bottom line as we move on. The work of the Spirit is like the movement of the wind. It is sovereign. And God's work, I cannot program. You know, we can sit down. We get sometimes so wise in our church. Now, there's a middle there's a middle ground here. Bear with me. There's nothing wrong with planning. and There's nothing wrong with programs. I mean, it's good to do things in an organized, kind of a systematic way, a thoughtful way. That's not bad. But sometimes we're so American, we're so methodological that we want to make the work of salvation, the work of evangelism, kind of methodological. If you do this, you do that, you do these other things, we'll see all these people coming to Christ. Listen, some of you are probably, this is older, the younger people never saw it. But you'd go to these Billy Graham crusades, and I'm not condemning Billy, God used him. <clears throat> but you'd go to these Billy Graham crusades, they had everything organized down to a T. But I was sitting in Pittsburgh in about 1965, and one of Graham's associates was speaking at the General Assembly. And he said, you ask, how many of these people do you see flowing down the aisles? Just flowing down the aisles. Everybody said, wow, watching all those people come to Christ. Well, a lot of them were counselors who were sent up in the aisle to kind of stimulate the flow. He said, we track them. He said, maybe 10%. Maybe five years later, maybe 10%. Well, that's wonderful. Came to know Christ. But it's not what you think. We get, we Americans, we are so dumb about that. It's sovereign. The Spirit of God does what He wills and He blows what He wills and He goes over here and He strikes a target we never thought of. And in a way we never thought of. I remember when Dustin here came to this church. He's crazy. And uh, I wondered, is this guy for real? Well, if anybody was ever for real, Dustin was for real. The Lord reached out, took him, been an alcoholic, veteran in Afghanistan, all like killing in blood. And here he was, very smart guy. Born again. Others of you, same story. David over here. How long was it? Were you in prison before you found Christ? A week? A day. Sent him away to prison for how many years? Twelve? Eleven. My math's not very good. That's not unusual. That's not unusual. Anyway, eleven years, that's long enough in my book. But one day in prison, he found Christ. The Spirit moves where he will. In this case, he moved in prison, not out on the streets of Portland, where the devil was working in his life. 
Born again, changed, forever changed. He's never done a thing wrong since. <laughs> yeah, we'll have one to get up here and give a testimony. Anyway, we see it. We could just go down the list. Born again, you must be born again. And many of you, in maybe less sensational ways, could give the same testimony. But the Spirit is going to move where the Spirit's going to move. And Jim Andrews, your pastor, cannot orchestrate it, nor our elders, nor our staff. Sit down and plan it. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do something else. And we're, we're going to make it happen. That's what goes wrong in a lot of megachurches. They have made it happen, but it is so superficial. And it's unreal. We've got to do our part. Do our part. And then let God do his part. And his part's the main part. Let the Spirit of God work, and he will work. Well, Nicodemus is still baffled. I've got to get to what Jesus says next. So Jesus next talked to Nicodemus about it, verse 10 and following. The obligation to exercise unqualified faith in the word of the Lord. Jesus said, are you a teacher in Israel, Nicodemus? You don't understand these things. Truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know. Look, it's like I would say I'm a pastor. Well, I know what I'm talking about. Please listen. We bear witness to that which we've seen. He came from above. And Nicodemus, I appreciate you coming to me. I'm filling in all the gaps here. I appreciate you coming to me. It's good. You've got some openness here, but you're still not believing. You're still quibbling. Listen, it's all right when you come to Christ. It's all right when you come to the Bible. Perfectly all right for you to ask questions. Uh, Pastor, I don't understand this. I can't quite get my head around that. But never do so in a quibbling way. Nicodemus was coming to him still in a quibbling way. I, I, I mean, this just seems out of reach. I, I can't get my mind around it. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm filling in the blanks. If you're going to be born again, stop quibbling and believe me. You said you knew that I was a teacher come from God. That's what you said, didn't you? Well, bring your simple faith and come to me and say, the disciples ask questions all the time. Just say, I don't understand this. Can you explain that? But don't come quibbling, trying to work your way out of it. You see people sometimes in churches and they, they come and they're asking questions. You can tell they're trying to get away from the truth instead of get into it because they're quibblers. They're not believing the word of God. Oh, I don't know about this. Where did Cain get his wife? Give me a break. You know, all of a sudden you know what's going on. Well, Jesus said, the only person that can answer these questions is one who came from above. That's me. If you're going to believe anybody, believe me, Nicodemus. Well, verse 11, we know what we're speaking about. And then he moves on. I've got to move fast. He's telling Nicodemus, look, I'm talking to you about earthly things, about being born again here and now. And Nicodemus, you're a big shot theologian. And you're wanting to go to other things, things above, great mysteries. Let's not go there. I'm asking you to believe what I'm saying about the new birth right here and right now. 
If we can't believe biblical testimony about the fallen nature of man, how can we expect to believe biblical testimony about the holiness of God? Those who can't believe the little things can't believe the bigger things, the lesser things, the greater things, the accessible things, the more, the more inaccessible things you can't reach. Got to hurry. In effect, Jesus says, if you won't believe me, when we testify to earthly matters more accessible to us, why should we expect you to be any readier to believe our testimony about matters much less so? Bottom line, right now, Nicodemus, you're not fully open to the truth. Here's the thing, folks. The truth, I mean God's word, is self-validating. That's its nature. The reason it doesn't stick to the flypaper with some people is because there's no stickum. There's moral prejudice. That is, there's still an affinity with darkness and preference for darkness. And the darkness repels the truth like a, a ball off a hard surface. Jesus says, man, if you're so dead to the truth that lesser things can't get through, how in the world can you be persuaded to believe if I reveal to you the greater and more inaccessible truths? I mean, if you won't believe an ant, how are you going to believe in an elephant? If you don't believe what I tell you about the human body, what makes you think it's useful to tell you about the human mind? You need to decide who you're going to trust. There's a lot more I'd like to say in there, but I wrote more than I have time to say. I want to give you an illustration of how God sovereignly breaks in. We'll close. This story I'm about to tell is not well known. So far as I know, but there's a great limit to my knowledge, I may be only the second preacher uh, to tell it. However, I must tell you that my telling of it is not precisely accurate, but is essentially so. It comes down to me from my friend I mentioned last Sunday, a former student who is very well connected. Tom got it from the late Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina, a very famous senator. He got it. There's an underbelly in Congress. If you go to Congress, I've never been there. They talk about it. If the senators want to get away from people, they go through this tunnel. And Tom used to have Bible studies up there, so he met Jesse, knew him, in the underbelly. And uh, he wasn't a close friend. And uh, Tom, ever friendly, just reached out and said, Senator Helms, I'm Tom Calhoun. He said, oh, yeah, you're a preacher, aren't you? He said, well, I teach Bible studies around here. He said, hey, Jesse Helms told him a story. He said, I want to tell you a story. He said, I told it to one other preacher. Feel free to share it. Do you know the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn? The great heralded Russian literary figure. You ought to read his Gulag Archipelago, a bunch of volumes. Astounding. Anyway, a few of the pieces I can't quite put together knowing what I do. I read all those books. I'm trying to illustrate in this story 
how the Spirit of God sovereignly flips hearts and works circumstances and in the end gets his man. Solzhenitsyn being a Russian was, of course, buried deeply in musty, dusty Russian Orthodox theology and church. He was very much like Nicodemus. Stalin had thrown him in prison. I think he was in prison about eight years. And uh, he, uh, he had basically lost hope. If you read the Gulag Archipelago, you'd know just how terrible. You stayed in a hotel when you were in prison compared to these. He had lost hope. And whatever his superficial faith in God was, if it was real, I don't know. It was not easy even to commit suicide. The prisons were so controlled, but he had figured it out. He had figured out the day he was going to do it, and today was the day. He had figured out the means. I don't know what those were. And uh, meanwhile, the U.S. State Department, Jesse Helms was very much involved in it, were trying to get him out of a Russian prison and bring him to the United States. But today, they didn't know any of this. Today was the day that he was to commit suicide. And then here came a man out of nowhere. I guess he was out on a, must have been out on a prison yard. A man, Solzhenitsyn, according to the story, didn't know him from Adam. He just kind of appeared in a prison yard. He was carrying a stick. And he came up to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, kind of stopped in front of him with his stick, just drew a cross in the dirt and then kind of went on as quick as suddenly as he had appeared. But the Spirit of God used that to strike the consciousness of Solzhenitsyn. And right then and there, he abandoned his suicide plan. At some point after that, this is where I, the timeline gets a little murky to me from what I know. Sometime after that, they managed to spirit him out of prison. I mean, nobody stole him out of prison. The Russians released him, and he found himself with the U.S. engineering at the U.S. State Department in Switzerland, from which he came to the United States. Spirit of God gets his man. He breaks in, and he changed the man's mind who was going to kill himself and brought him to a richer, fresher knowledge of, of God. I don't know whether that was a moment of his conversion or a moment when this superficial religion like Nicodemus was shed like an old cloth, like the shell on a, on a wallet. He gets his man. The Spirit of God makes things happen. People are changed. Religion gives way to real faith. Make sure you don't have a case of religion. Regeneration is the work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of those who in faith repent of their sins and stand up in the name of Christ for righteousness. If you have not been born again, it's because you have not wanted to be. If you ask, well, how can I control that? I said this last Sunday, just about done. Uh, I don't have control over that. Well, you do in this sense. You will be born again if you want to be. If you want to be, 
if you want to be changed. Make sure that's the case. Be washed and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for the message of the Lord Jesus in this passage. We've been on it two Sundays now, and we pray, our Father, that it may have landed squarely and it may land securely. And all of us may know in our own minds we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven and prepare our hearts, our Father, for repentance and for the cleansing work, the washing of the Spirit of God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.